double your chances of getting funded with Become Investable. I am your host, Kevin Valley, and joining me today, we have Zara Alain. Hello. Today, we are talking about systemizing your business for success, getting the business off the ground, putting proper systems in place, and positioning your business for long-term sustainable growth. Joining us today, we have a lady here with over 25 years of experience, some of which in accounting, strategic planning, performance management, procurement, supply chain management. Mm. Dawn Hackett, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing well. Hi, hi. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Zara. Hello. Zara. Zara. <laughs> <laughs> So, so see you look, right? <laughs> so, Don, how do you move from 12 years in accounting to, to strategic planning and performance management? Is it that you got fed mm-hmm. up or what? Actually, what would have happened was that uh, I had gone on maternity leave and uh, with my first son. And um, after spending some time doing what I was doing in terms of growing that aspect of the business, my boss asked me if I wanted a change. So I said, sure, because he was all about growing capacity and um, developing employees and so forth. And I said, sure, no problem. And that's how I ended up going into strategic planning. What was the experience like, though, in terms of, all right, so what, what exactly mm-hmm. did you do as, account, as an accountant? Were as you an in accountant. auditing or were you as a CFO you in financial control? Okay, so what basically I was doing, I guess, was in the, it was akin to a financial controller. So at the time when I joined the, the new company, they were now taken off. It was the first time LNG business was in Trinidad and um, it was also an emerging field globally. So accounting wise, there was not much to obtain, you know, globally. So we had a lot, we had to create a lot of the accounting. Um, No, I shouldn't say creative accounting. I would probably get struck off my register, but (laughs) you know, there was a lot of um, trying to understand what is the nature of the business that needed to be accounted for. So that, that was a, a interesting journey as well. But what was, I guess, required, because the company was now building, the team was also young and the team was also building. So apart from having to implement systems to handle what was to come, we also needed to bring on board and build capacity in the accounting department, the finance and accounting department, to be able to handle what was coming. Did we know what was coming? Not necessarily. We just knew that we were building trains, you were getting into the LNG business and we knew we'd figure it out. So first things first, we had to implement an enterprise-wide financial system. We used Oracle. So we had to implement that and we were given a very tight deadline to do so. We did that. We had to understand the various contracts that were being put in place and that meant reading about 30-something contracts and accounting for it. We also had to understand how to account for the product that we were producing. So it was a lot of understanding and growing and training and building and interviewing. And, you know, it was a crazy, crazy time. So when you say account for the product that you're building, Mm -hmm. what do you mean exactly? All right. So typically in a financial scenario, if you're producing something at the end of the day, you need to understand what it costs you to produce. Whether you're manufacturing bulbs, whether you're manufacturing any kind of product, regardless of the business you're in, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, you need to understand what it costs you to manufacture your finished product. And uh, it not only is the raw materials that goes into it, there's all the other pieces that go into it, the back office support, the systems that are required to sustain your business also cost the business. So it's all of that is understanding everything that it takes in the situation I was in was understanding the operational costs that would be required to manufacture the product. Now, this is in the gas industry, so it's a different, different world, different kind of operating costs. So it's just understanding everything that goes into it. So it's such that you can account and set up these systems to be able to account for it in a way that you can tell whether you're making money or not. So if you have a business mm-hmm. and you're not necessarily accounting inclined, mm-hmm. but you still want to be able to... Price your mm-hmm. products properly Correct. so that mm-hmm. based on, on how much it costs you, your products to mm-hmm. make, how do you determine the cost of your products just from okay. a, from a layman, a layman standpoint? Yeah. Okay. 
So recently I had cause to, once I had cause, I had the opportunity, I would say, to help someone work through something like that. So uh, let's say they're producing cakes, right? And you want to know what it costs you to produce a cake because you want to price it appropriately. You also want to price it in a way that is not out of the market for what you are selling. What you'd have to understand is everything that goes into it. So for example, not only flour, the water, the labeling of your containers, your containers itself, your actual manual labor that's required. So for example, if it's your time, if it's your, you hired somebody to come in and work for you, you need to understand, okay, you're paying them $25 an hour. It's costing you four hours to bake a cake. You can sell that cake for X amount of dollars. So you need to understand all the elements that go into baking this cake. There's also the intangible pieces. So for example, if also you are transporting your product to your customer, your gas, the cost of maintaining your car, all of those eventually will impact in terms of the cost of your product. So in this particular case, when I work through the cost of the cake, so the person is not financially inclined, hates finance, but they know, okay, I know I need X amount of kilograms to make this and whatever the case may be. If I'm adding raisins, I know I need to add X pounds of raisins. So what I did, we worked through, okay, if a bag of raisins costs you X amount, this gives you X amount of cake. I can then work it out per cake. And that's what we did. So at the end of the day, we're able to come to what is it cost per cake and per different type of cake. And in the end, the individual recognized, hang on, I'm not making as much money as I thought I was making. Because you're selling it at a price where you think intuitively that you're making money. But at the end of the day, you're not making as much money as you think you are. And in some cases, you are losing on a particular product because you have not priced in everything it costs you to make it. That's interesting. So... How does that work when you're working with a sector, for example, where you're saying where there's no comparator? Mm -hmm. So it's hard to figure out what the market is in a new industry. Right. How do you price in that type of industry? Okay. So pricing then is a factor of what your customer in the market would pay. So if you're a new entrant, what you may find is that you may have to test the market a little bit, whether or not you take it from doing an initial entry at a particular price and you say, okay, well, I think I want to charge $10. I'm making 50% margin on it. And you recognize, okay, nobody's buying it. It could be a combination of things. One, you're not marketing properly. Or one, you price it too high. Or nobody wants your product. Or nobody <laughs> wants your product. Exactly. So there's a few things you need to do if you're now entering a market in terms of how you price your particular product. Okay, so... How do you go on to strategic planning, though? I'm mm-hmm. interested in strategic planning. And I, and I realize just by looking at your LinkedIn profile mm-hmm. and stuff, the, the word strategic is used a lot. At first glance, it might seem mm-hmm. like, okay, maybe just kind of embellishing or so, adding, yes. adding glow. But when you really type it in on Google, you realize, hey, that's strategic word. For example, a strategic business plan or strategic plan versus a business plan, mm-hmm. two completely different things. Correct. So for me, actually, when I got into it, I had had experience in a number of industries and and understanding the business of a number of industries. So prior to getting into the industry, I worked in an accounting firm. So I had a lot of exposure in different ways of accounting for different things and different understanding of how businesses work. So coming into strategic planning, I still did not have all the knowledge I thought I would have needed. So I did get a coach and a mentor in terms of someone who is more experienced than I was. So while I had the the knowledge of the business, to get that strategic, I guess, lens and perspective, I needed to have a mentor and a coach. And what that dimension brought was an ability to understand not just what was in front of me, but understand everything else that impacts what was in front of me. And more so to understand, okay, if the business wants to go in a particular direction, what is needed for successful of a successful pathway to get you to your objectives. To me, it's a lot of pieces that come together to be able to understand from a strategic perspective how you can help someone. It takes a lot of different aspects of understanding a business. So for me, that journey into strategic planning was a lot of understanding, okay, let's understand the global market. Let's understand where our position is. Let's understand in terms of sales, where our product is going. Let's understand the pricing. So I had to understand the different pricing in US and Asia and India and South America and all of that. Because pricing was also an element of something I needed to understand. 
this is also understanding what the global impact on the company because we were dealing with global markets. This was not a simple organization in Trinidad. We had global markets. We had multiple stakeholders. It's also understanding what your stakeholders want and require because at the end of the day, the stakeholders are also important. You have business owners that you have to account for. So it's bringing all those pieces together to be able to come together to say, okay, these are what the objectives the company must focus on. This is the strategic direction the company must take in order for us to achieve everything we want to achieve. So at the end of the day, you take all that information, you refine it, and you come on to a set of uh, like a PowerPoint slide that gives you five objectives and this is how you achieve your objectives. I see performance management was part of that portfolio as well. Yeah. And I mean, just on a, again, from last night's research, you have individual performance management, which is more on the HR side. And then you have the corporate performance management. I see it that you mentioned that you were in mm. the corporate performance management yeah, side. But the HR side also has a significant element. Huh? Of course. So, for example, when you talk about performance management, performance management is always against your objectives, right? What intent, what it is you want to achieve. So what, what was needed was an overarching performance management system that says, okay, this is what the company wants to achieve. How can the company do that? You have what the employees are required to achieve. So you start at the top and you kind of filter down, okay, these are the different departments that have to achieve this. If the department has to achieve this, for the company to achieve this, then employees need to be delivering this. You know, so it all kind of all has to work together for the company to be able to achieve what they require. How does that work for a young company though, without that much staff manpower and all of that? So one of my initial clients small company, they couldn't understand why they weren't achieving what they wanted to achieve. I said, okay, well, what are your performance targets? Question mark. Didn't have that. It's as basic as that. So if a, a, a young company, at the end of the day, you must have an idea of what you want to achieve. Whether it is you want a profitability of X, okay, if you get a profitability of X, how do you get that, that profitability? What is your cost? What is your market? What are your customers are? So you start trying to delve in terms of what maybe are these three or four things that impact your profit. And then you say, okay, if it's going to impact my profit, what these things must have? What must my performance be on these things? And then it starts saying, okay, overall for the year or for the month, I must achieve this. And then at the end of every month, you check back. Did I achieve? No. Why did I not achieve? You must engage a level of I guess documentation of what you've actually achieved. A lot of people do not feel as if they have to record everything could be in their mind, but you will forget. You know, at the end of the day, there are many, even for a small business, there are a lot of free apps around that you could download. You just have to put in your information on sales and your costs, and it gives you the financial information you need, which will allow you then to track against what your original targets are to see whether you're on track or not. So you think mm -hmm. we could use these apps instead of hiring somebody who studied accounts or maybe work 12 years in accounting or mm -hmm. so? It depends on the nature of the business and the level of the business. Eh? So, for example, a new person starting off, if you don't have the knowledge of what the app is asking you, it will still be garbage in, garbage out. Right. You know, so I do think making a plug for my profession, you know, um, <laughs> there would always be a requirement for accounting personnel because at the end of the day, garbage in, garbage out, you still will not have the information you need to be able to performance manage your business to help your business grow. So, so the, sure the apps will help you, but the apps will, the app is just a means by which you get information. If you put in the wrong information, you simply will get the wrong information coming out. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the entrepreneur should probably build a team of people with maybe different mm -hmm. skills than him because he might be the yes. ideas guy. He or she, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, woman he power. Or she, uh -huh. she or he might be the ideas girl mm -hmm. or guy. Yeah. But you know, there's a different personality trait, a different side of the brain and all of that. I don't know which one is the left side or the right side, mm -hmm. but it's a different skill set to be able to come up with the ideas and then be able to Execute. maintain all the reports and all mm -hmm. of that. Yeah, I think as a young entrepreneur, I think you need to have a financial person with you. And it may not be required full-timer huh? because it just might mean coming in once we have that conversation with you. It might be just putting everything in a box and sending it to somebody to organize you and give you a report at the end of the day. You need to have that financial business acumen 
working in a business. Or you might want to have an advisor, the person, you know, you have on retainer who will come and spend a few hours with you, sit on your go through your business, develop a business plan if you don't know how to develop one. Because also you'd find that if you were to seek financing as a young entrepreneur, you need to have that. Huh? Banks ask for lots of stuff in terms of the financial realm where there's a cash flow, where there's financial statements or so forth. And you have to understand what it means, what they're asking you for. Even if you go to somebody and they give you something, you are giving it to the bank and it's coming from your business. The bank is going to hold you accountable. So at the end of the day, you need to still understand what it is that you're submitting. What are some of the biggest challenges or pitfalls you think that new businesses could encounter that they may not think about um, from the beginning? In terms of their performance management, accounting, that kind of thing, what are some of the challenges that you think new businesses might face that they may not have considered originally when starting their idea and wanting to get up and running? Okay. I think one major item is the the commingling of your funds. Because quite a bit of the time when you're starting off, you're using your personal funds, right? At the end of the day, you need to also to know what expenses that you're incurring on behalf of the business. So that's the first thing. You might, you might not be able to segregate your funds, but that's something I would suggest you do from the get-go. They kind of find a different account, use a different account to manage those things. Even if you take your personal money, put your personal money into the, that separate account. Mm-hmm. And from that, you make your expenses or you put your revenue in so you can manage your money. I think another pitfall is that a lot of young persons do not keep records of what they spend. So you talk about being able to say, okay, what's the cost of a cake? I go back to my example of a, of a cake. Okay, show me, show me what you spent. Well, I went to Price Mart and I threw away the bill. <laughs> or I went to Price Mart and I bought my groceries with everything else for the business. So I can't segregate it, you know? So again, it's just try as much as you can to segregate what is the business and what is your, your personal expense. Because at any day, you must be able to identify what the business is costing you and whether or not you're making money. Because you might find that your funds are dwindling and you're not too sure why. Whether you are having excessive personal expenses or the business is just sucking all your money and it's not making the return that you want. Right. So you have to keep records to keep yourself honest. To keep yourself honest. Correct. And understand what the reality is. And understand what the reality is. So true. Sometimes numbers lie, but they usually don't. Well, I, I mean, I've lived with numbers for so long and numbers could tell any story you want, what? you know, that is so true. <laughs> so I true. shouldn't say that too loudly, but yeah, numbers can tell any story, you know, is, but you need to read your numbers. You need to be able to read your numbers. And if you can't read your numbers, you need to have someone who you trust who can read your numbers for you. And that is where a financial advisor would come in is somebody who you can trust. Now they have some unscrupulous people out there, I'm sure, you know, so you also need to be mindful of who you're trusting mm-hmm. and who you're giving your financial information to. So. So in terms of finding somebody you trust, would you say, how would you feel about hiring, say, friends or family mm-hmm. or so to be on your on your team to... To guide you, to yeah. advise? Friends and family have its place. I mean, if they have the requisite knowledge that you want. But I think it's important to draw the lines of what they are giving you and whether or not what they're giving you is free or whether what they're giving you at some point, payment will have to, to pass. So I think while it's good to have that, I think it's very important to draw the line and say, okay, this is what I expect, friendship aside. These are the things that we will be working together as a business. Are you able to have that frank conversation? If you're not able to have that frank conversation, you're probably going to end up with some heartache. So beyond the frank conversation, do you think they should have some sort of contracts and stuff in place? Uh, most definitely. I personally prefer working with a contract or working at agreements. It doesn't have to be a formal contract, but it certainly is something in email or something like that. Because most people on their phone, they can send an email, you know, um, say, okay, we agree to do X, Y, Z. Cost is going to be X, Y, Z, whether it's per month or, per, or whatever the case may be. And you, and you say, okay, well, both parties agree. It could be as simple as, as that. It doesn't have to be any big document that's in, that's a huge contract. And I think a lot of times people think of, when they think of starting a business, they think business plan. Mm-hmm. And I think looking at your experience in terms of strategic planning, performance management, what would you say are the key elements of a business plan? Does it need to be this 25-page Ooh, That's detailed, a short one, Sarah. No, right? Look, I'm trying on the short side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've seen the ones that are 100 mm-hmm. pages. Yeah, yeah. Yes. 100 yeah. pages long. They give you a whole mm-hmm. dossier and you read it and you don't actually know what it what says. That sounds like it's shiny. 
It's mm-hmm. sometimes shiny but contains no content. So what would mm-hmm. you advise as to the central elements mm-hmm. that are necessary to make a successful business plan? I would think one of the first things you'd have to you probably should, should include is a, it's like a scan of the environment that the business is in. So you look at all the factors that might impact the business. Most people tend to go to a SWOT, which is your typical thing, your strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. But what to me I think is needed in today's times is more wrong trends because certain things are happening that can put the container business on its on its heels pretty quickly. So you need to to look at what's happening as, you know, in terms of the trends of the business that you're in, the environment in which you're in. Then after that, you get a feel for what then are your stakeholders? Who are your stakeholders? Whether it's your business owner, whether it's your bankers, whether it's your investor, whatever the case may be. So you need to understand who your stakeholders are and what your stakeholders require. Of course, your stakeholders, one of your stakeholders is going to be a customer. You know, who's your customer base? What's your customer? And uh, simply what is the industry? What is the environment? What is the industry that you're playing in? That then from the time you start talking customer, you start talking price, you start talking marketing, you start talking how you then market your business to get to the, the outputs that you want. Then once you've done that, you look at your cost drivers. What are your cost drivers? And depending on your business, your cost drivers will, will change. Whether it is manpower, whether it is back office costs, whatever it is, you look at your cost drivers. And then once you have your pricing, you have your cost drivers and you have your profitability. So then you have your, what is your targets on your profitability that you'd want to go where there's a one-year plan, two-year plan, five-year plan. Typically, if you're doing a business plan, you should do it at least three years out. So you can have an idea of what you're doing. The swing now in the industry is that you do put, it's no longer relevant to put all that two years out, three years out on paper because things are changing. That's why I tell you about the trends. Things are changing just so fast in the world right now yeah. that what you sought were your opportunities, you know, and now your threats could be in the next year. So you always look, you know, always have that short term look so you know what's happening, you have that medium term look. But in terms of the three year, maybe four or five year, leave that a bit fluid. You have your basic parameters of what you want to go for in terms of profitability, but even that may change depending on the trends that you're in. So those are some of the basic things you should be looking at. So it doesn't, it could be a, a five page document. It could be a 30 page document. I mean, I've done business plans that are like 70 something pages, but that just goes into a lot of detail in terms of the individual objectives by area. It goes into um, what are some of the people issues you, you, you want to take care of in terms of your business plan and so forth. So it could be as simple or as long as you, as your business requires. And is the business plan something that financial institutions would look at or need? I don't know. <laughs> Kevin, they're shaking his head. But um, I don't think they look at that big document. They nope. probably would look at a couple of things like, for example, who are the key people in the business and yep. whether or not they could drive the business forward to deliver on what they say the business is going to deliver. And that's why I say a document should not be so long because at the end of the day, who is going to read it? It's not, it should not sit on a shelf, which is what most business plans do. But then it comes back to performance managing. You need to be able to have a document in a way that you can get the performance management side out of it and you could go straight into performance managing your business. But in terms of what investors look for, I don't even know if they read half of those things. So let me yeah, tell so. you, as somebody <laughs> who works in investment banking and private mm-hmm. equity, when some Somebody sends me a, a 30 to 50 page business plan. I roll my head back. I almost hit my neck. I say, oh Lord, <laughs> what is this? Because mm-hmm. the thing is, in those fields, you don't get paid by the hour. You don't get paid by the hour to read this long business plan. And then you have a meeting with them. And then eventually, most times, say 80, 90% of the time, is to say no. Correct. So really and truly, I like the business canvas model where you have on one page. So Correct. Your strengths, who's who's a one page. Oh. Yeah. A one page. Oh. You use the five key. forces or something. Correct. Yeah. The key elements, you know, and as I said, those, those key elements I, I said to you just now, that could be just paragraph long. It doesn't have to be pages long in terms of X, Y, Z. You could do that as appendix, you know, sure. But upfront, you have a pricey version as like a one page, which hits the business and whoever the stakeholder is at the yeah. right of the bone. If you can't explain it simply, you don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm all for simple. Some people look at the business plan as a big, this big Mm -hmm. academic exercise. And when they're done, they say, ah, yes, mommy, I just wrote a business plan. (laughs) But what's your business? (laughs) Exactly. You still don't know what's your business or, or what you want to get out of the business at the end of the day. 
how do you identify trends? How do people identify trends? How do they keep up with it? Is it mm-hmm. constant research? Is it getting into the market, identifying your customer, talking to them? How do you see even six months ahead, mm-hmm. especially in new businesses where things are constantly changing? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with, well, in this environment where technology is just so pervasive, where there's Twitter, where there's Facebook, where there's LinkedIn. I mean, there are so many platforms where I think as a business owner, you need to be a part of you know, because even if it does not impact your industry directly, you get an understanding of, of what's happening elsewhere that may impact your industry. So join those platforms. I personally, I'm into, um, I like to read about what's happening futuristically. So there's so many sites you can probably get inundated with it, right? Um, so it depends on what your fancy is. I like to read about things with blockchain. I like to read about cryptocurrency. So I find myself drawn to those types of articles, whatever it is. I've also subscribed to HBR, which is Harvard Business Review, that tends to speak to a multitude of interests. So basically what that comes down to is staying connected. You have to stay connected in this world. Sometimes you might want to unplug and that's fine, but you have to stay connected to understand what is happening in the market, what's happening to businesses like yours, what's happening to the industry and what customers want. And feedback from customers is a critical thing because, you, as you said earlier, you might go into a business that nobody wants your product and you're wondering, okay, why? You know, I like my product, but it's not something that somebody wants. Just today, I was in the grocery store and I saw a new line of natural soaps, which I love, right? But then I looked at one of these soaps and the soap is a coffee and cocoa soap as natural. So I sniffed mm-hmm. I don't know, like, I'm, not, I'm still on the fence. I'm not sure if I want to smell like coffee and cocoa. Okay. Yeah. But so, yeah, just talking about things that people may or may not want. Exactly. And the thing is, they, 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 may, they may have gone out on a limb to try that sort of center and come next month, they realize, okay, it's not moving. Ah, well, you know, no, nobody wants that. Or your product placement is not the best. You know, it might not be the grocery. It might be some kind of organic store. You need to put your stuff in because, you know, you're not attracting the customer that's going to want that particular product. So you need to be a little bit... um. I guess wise in terms of where you place your product to. Huh? And that's for me the hardest thing that I had to learn in terms of marketing. I'm not a marketing person at all. So for me, I had to learn how to read the market, understand what different people want by what they see. So it's actually going to networking events to understand what people are talking about, understand what's current, understand the challenges people are having, understand pain points. And that kind of informs your mind whether it's relative to your product or not and how do you take it forward. So those are things with trends you could look at. And one thing I'm hearing from you a lot as well is the need to be flexible. So you can't Mm -hmm. be rigid. You can't just stick to what your idea of success is, but you have to be iterative, even in your performance management. Once you have a structure, then you can monitor yourself and change as needed. Correct. And you may find that with, um, so you go back to the example of cakes, you may find that based on the feedback you're getting from your customers, because there's still a, a, even if you're selling it to a retailer that sells it for you, you still need to understand what's the feedback from your customers. So again, everybody's LinkedIn, have a Facebook page, whatever the case may be, so you can get your encouraging feedback. You might find that what you're thinking is a good cake or a good type of cake. Nobody wants it or everybody wants it. And if you want to introduce something new, you might... Like cocoa soap? Like cocoa <laughs> I like cocoa soap, soap, by the way. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to get it. It's good. I'm going to buy it. So you need to be flexible, taking consideration of feedback. You know, feedback is important. Customer feedback is important. And before we we started, we had been discussing some forums Mm -hmm. that you had put together at different times in your career to gather some of that feedback. Mm -hmm. Once you've gathered the feedback, what do you do with it? How do you structure it so that it can actually help you move from one stage to the other? That's important eh, in terms of how you how you structure it because a lot of people, and we had to learn when I did those things, we had to learn what was the best mechanism to document the feedback because if it's not documented correctly then and it's not performance managed, it's not going to get done. And then it becomes a talk show. People will say, okay, well, you already take my feedback, so I'm giving it to you. So you have to be mindful of how you documented it. So one of the things that we did is that I always had someone in, the, in those meetings kind of scribing what was the urgent things. And at the end of the meeting, I would always give feedback and say, okay, well, this is what we heard. You know, did I miss anything? And sometimes I would say, okay, well, Dawn, you know, you missed this. It was an important thing for us or whatever. And I'd say, okay, fine, apologies. And we take it from there. And then in the next, there'll always be meeting minutes going, going out, you know, so they always have an action plan and that kind of thing. 
And at the next meeting, we would say, okay, this is what we did. This is what we did not do. There were, again, so there was feedback as to what was done, what was not done, and why. So again, feedback is also very important. So do you enjoy that level of structure and almost minutia? I do. And it has its place. Sarah's not in it. <laughs> I think structure and is very important place. and so are details. You know? <laughs> but then I've, I've had to learn how to be unstructured in my business because that is anything but structured. And that was something for me, part of the self-discovery I had to go through because I'm accustomed to having things in order. I'm an accountant exactly. by nature. You know, everything is in order. And I had to sit back and say, my God, this is anything but order. Because the, the thing is, right, entrepreneurship is so mm-hmm. white paper. Mm-hmm. You know, and what you're talking about here yes. sounds like a, a, a very, a multi-layered Excel workbook, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be though. Because what, what it's so funny, and this is interesting because this shows that how you hear something changes what you think about it. So when yes. I'm hearing Don speaking, I'm thinking of something that's quick and agile, but it allows you as an entrepreneur to shift direction if necessary. So if I'm starting something and I have a new product and I go out in the market with it, I have to have a structure to be able to tell me, okay, are you hitting your targets? And if you're not hitting your targets and if you aren't able to come back to your central vision, then why are you off on this different tangent? You have a small team and you don't mm-hmm. have a lot of money. Why are you doing extra stuff? Okay, mm-hmm. So you talk about targets, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, sir. So let's say, you know, you're an entrepreneur. So becoming festival is a new company. Let's say, I say, hey, Zara. Hey, Elise. Hey, Zanon. Let's make a million dollars. At the, mm-hmm. end, at the end of next year. Is this hypothetical, Kevin? No, no, no I'm, I'm, I'm being real. All right. Just, just, <laughs> <laughs> just check it because you like definitely call out a whole board of directors at the same time. How can we get a million dollars at the end of the year? Is it pie in the sky or like, because you, you talk about planning out your finances mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur. How, how do you make sure you're realistic? Mm-hmm. Good question. Thought of it myself. Uh-huh. Good question. So you say, okay, you want to make a million dollars, right? I think you need to, first thing you need to understand, okay, how do I plan to make this million dollars? What are some of the customers I need to go after to get to this million dollars? I may say, okay, well, I think I want to target X customer. And around a table, if you have advisors or whoever the case may be, you say, okay, well, what are we offering that customer? I think I could bring in X amount of dollars in sales. So you kind of have to, there has to be a, a work through process, you know, that you go after because at the end of the day, if you're just hitting shots, you know, you would not know, okay, well, that didn't work. What's next? At the end of the day, if you want a target, you want to make a million dollars in a year, then you need to have some sort of structure in terms of, okay, what am I going after? If you need to be scattershot, if you scattershot, what am I scattershot? Scattershot, you know? that's, a, that's another consultant thing. Or just, you, just, you know, you just throw it and you say, okay, or well. Or just throw it and see what's so, going literally oh. throw everything at the wall. You're like, oh. Okay. okay. Exactly. <laughs> okay. And then that's how you kind of plan around that, you know. And you may say, okay, that might work. That might not work. I think I might take a chance on this. So again, it comes back to the, your resources as well. If you don't have many resources to go up, you have many CRSR agents to go after every set of business, then that, that, that also becomes a limiting factor. So you need to understand what is, okay, a million dollars. How do I get to a million dollars? And there has to be a structure and then you but flexible enough that you could change strategy if you need to. This is interesting. So I think this ties into the core theme of this interview where we're talking about structure and mm-hmm. systems and stuff. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about procurement and supply chain management. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people usually gloss over that and it's like, okay, so you're getting procurement. I mean, it just means getting stuff, right? But thanks to Google. <laughs> no, anyone who has actually been through a monitoring a procurement process understands that the it has between. so many layers. It starts... Mm-hmm. So far before you get the product, but I'm sure Don can teach Correct. us a little bit more so, about so you that. Procure, you need to get it. Okay. <laughs> and you'd be surprised. That's what your internal customers think. Huh? I want this and I want it now. What is procurement doing? Why um, do they get so long? Um, procurement is making sure that it actually meets your requirements and guidelines. Procurement mm-hmm. is making sure that it's procured competitively. Procurement is making mm-hmm. sure that it covers the oh, company. I like you. I like you. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking my language. <laughs> I try. I try. Multilingual. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so how, mm-hmm. so when you're dealing with that procurement and, and, and supply chain management, what, do you, what are some of the core tenants that you're dealing with? How does this mm-hmm. apply? I think a lot of people... Kevin and I were discussing earlier how a lot of people think that procurement and supply chain management only applies to large companies. Exactly. Mm-hmm. How does it apply to a small business that's mm-hmm. producing cakes or that's producing... Okay. Please say cocoa soup. 
producing <laughs> cocoa, cocoa soap. soap. Okay, let me let me see of cocoa do, soap. And and I think with cocoa mm-hmm. soap, it's actually very relevant because so <laughs> many of these materials come from different places and mm-hmm. different parts of the world. How do you ensure that your procurement and supply chain mm-hmm. management is where it's supposed to be as a small business? And how okay. can that then impact your bottom line? Okay. So that's okay, making cocoa soap. Yes. All cocoa right. and chocolate cocoa soap. Cocoa and chocolate soap. No, no, sorry, cocoa coffee and coffee. Coffee and cocoa, cocoa and soap. Coffee soap. It's <laughs> one of my right. favorite things. Okay. So some questions you need to ask. In your production, I guess whatever the ingredients for soap, you have your chocolate and your coffee. Chocolate you might get here. So the question will be asked, where are you getting your raw materials? That's the first thing, where are you getting your raw materials? Are you importing it? Are they local? If you're importing it, have you catered for shipping, freight, customs duties, VAT? So as a small business, sometimes you're not VAT registered. So VAT becomes an expense of the business, right? But a lot of people don't take that in consideration. But VAT becomes something that's part of your cost of doing business because you aren't VAT registered, so you can't claim it back. So again, look at your raw materials. Okay. Now that you've done that, you've sourced your raw materials. You've, you've determined where you can source your raw materials. But the question would be, all right, so at what prices am I sourcing the material? And uh, when you put that, when you factor the pricing of your, your raw materials, how does it impact my total cost of production and hence what I could sell my product for? Because you might find that you want to get the best, the bends of chocolate and coffee. And you recognize that the bends of chocolate and coffee is way out pricing in the local market. You can't produce it for something that can give you a margin when you sell it in the local market. So you say, okay, fine. Well, I can't really import, right? I need to go to a, a lower level to meet my the market that I want to go after. Again, so as I say market going after, you need to understand where you're pricing your product. If you want to price your product to the upper echelons of society, then you might want the very best and you can get the margins you want. But so if that's about targeting. That's again, targeting your market. Mm-hmm. So again, it comes back to the customers that you want to go after. So you determine the customers, you determine, okay, you want to go middle market. So you need to get a, you need to get raw materials that can give you a total cost of production that gets you the margin you want when you sell. What about packaging? Okay. Are you going to design your packaging yourself? I mean, I'm sure there are lots of apps that can help you, but are you going to design it yourself? Or are you going to get somebody to design it for you? So you're going to pay somebody to design your packaging. All right. Labeling, type of labeling. Do you want to copyright your labeling? You know, because somebody could steal your, your ideas when you, when you do your labeling. And I say, okay, fine. So now that I've gotten my raw materials, I have my packaging, I have my labeling. And again, all this is, you need to understand different pricing that can come with those pieces. You have to also understand that if you want to meet your customer's expectation on production, you need to understand how long it will take you to produce what you want. And how long will it take you if you're importing your raw materials, how long it will take you. Next thing you know, you have a, you've promised your customer a hundred bars of soap and uh, all your raw materials are sitting down on, in customs because for whatever reason you can't clear it or it's a busy period for customs. So again, all that, and that is what supply chain. So procurement is just getting the material to your door. Supply chain is all the pieces that impact getting your materials to your door. So you need to understand all the pieces that come together to get you to your, to your finished product. And if you're not dealing with a physical product, so a lot of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. these days are dealing with virtual products or mm-hmm. intangibles. How does procurement and supply chain management play into those types of businesses? That's a very, a very good question. Because does it most play of the into time, those types of businesses? Yeah, exactly. And that's what I'm thinking of in terms of the, because the, the same service talk about the intangibles, it comes down to IP, intellectual property, and what you think your knowledge base is and your capacities that you're selling. So in your actual service, it might not be procurement and supply chain, what it may mean is that how you deliver the different aspects of your business might require maybe some back office support, might require some software support, some web development. If you have a web page, that becomes your procurement and supply chain, the cost that, that you incur to deliver what you have to deliver to the, to the business, to, to, to your customers. So it's various inputs. Correct, so, whatever your inputs are and how you get your inputs to be able to deliver your output. 
and being able to properly track what the actual cost of your mm-hmm. being, the actual expenses being incurred to make Correct. that input over a period of, period time. of time. Because what you might realize, even if you're selling services and most people sell services at a per hour basis, you might very fine if you're charging out your hours at a $1,200. By the time you pay a web developer, Facebook or whatever, whatever, you've you eroded your cost per hour, you know, and that becomes your inputs, you know. Okay. So as we still on this um, topic of systems and everything. So we're talking about charging per hour as consultants or as, you know, as freelancers or owners of our time, right? Or sellers of our time, right? How do we go from charging on a per hour basis, trading hours for dollars, mm-hmm. to being able to generate that passive income? So we, we, we mm-hmm. generate products that, that make money for us while we sleep, while we drink scotch, while we mm-hmm. bathe with cocoa, with cocoa, cocoa and, and coffee, coffee. <laughs> and coffee soap. <laughs> Uh, how do we change that into a passive income? I think for me, it will be finding a way because passive income is as a result of your investment dollars, right? Right. And your time. And your time. So I guess part of it is being able to choose the mechanisms of, of where your talent is, is, is output. So for example, where it is in um, webinars, where it is in, and there are multitudes of things now that you can do, podcasts. There are multitudes of yes. things now that are available where you can share your knowledge. So it's how you find a way to charge for your, for your knowledge. What you might find is that in today's times, you might find a lot of people having subscription services for their knowledge. So you might develop a, a workbook, you might develop a PowerPoint slide pack on a particular type of knowledge base that you may have. And then, okay, so okay, I offer this to you, subscribe $10 a month or whatever the case may be. And there are lots of services we can do subscription services for. Right. But the challenge with that is, is how do you sell it? And how do you get your name out there that people come to you to say, okay, I want to buy from you. And that's going to be a challenge, but that's one way you can get the passive income where you've, you've invested in developing it and now you just subscribe and it's an on-demand thing. So passive income, I think, also has changed in nature. What passive income has also changed over time is no longer the investment earnings, whatever interests you in an investment, but as you've, out, you've created an output and that output sits on a cloud, any cloud, and then it earns business, it earns revenue for you for the next how many years that, that it becomes relevant. And in today's time, content is all relevant. So again, you always have to keep updating what that content is and coming back to trends you always have to understand okay what's trending how do i change my content such that it always remain relevant what about the creation of timeless content though so content that will always be relevant so you you have these dale carnegie books Mm -hmm. that were written quite back in the Mm -hmm. 80s or 70s or so that's still Mm -hmm. relevant to this day correct yeah and that's a very good point you know some things are timeless you know but determining what that is, you know, again, that comes back to what your knowledge base is. Some things will always be timeless. You know, some accounting things will always be timeless because there are some debits and credits. There are some basic knowledge things that will not change over time. Right. What may change is, is how you account for certain things. And, um, but is I mean, it's trying to understand what that timeless is. And I don't know what that is. That's always a discovery. What is, what is timeless? True quality is timeless. True quality is timeless. You it know? sounds like a diamond ad. <laughs> <laughs> You know? Quality yeah. cocoa and coffee. <laughs> coffee and cocoa. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, coffee yeah, and cocoa yeah. is timeless. Yes, this is true. That is, that and is it's timeless. value added. Definitely. I'm going to buy it tomorrow. So, yes. Dawn, listening to you, I'm thinking, all right, so as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you need at least two other people on your team, right? So you're, let's say you're the ideas girl or guy, right? Mm-hmm. Most likely girl, right? Yeah, most likely. Right, 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 ladies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's say you're the ideas girl or guy. You also need that that structured girl or guy on your team Mm -hmm. to make sure you have all that reporting and accounting and all that systems in place. Correct. But it seems like you also need that sales girl or guy Mm -hmm. on your team to get your product out there, to market your product, to brand, to brand your business. Mm-hmm. You know? I think so. I think so. Um, and, and those might be the two key things you would start off with. But I say, I think certainly you'd probably need to tap into, and those are services you can buy. You need to tap into a lawyer at some point because protecting your IP becomes critical in today's environment. And a lot of people don't understand. And I'm glad to see, you know, sometimes you'll see um, Career or, or Bureau of Standards putting out seminars on IP. You know, letting people understand Those what are is... the Caribbean um, information system. Correct. Right? Yeah. You know, and in that way, 
young entrepreneurs who are now getting into business get an understanding of what is their intellectual property and why they must protect it, why they must copyright something. Because at any day, it is their creation that they must, that will protect, if it's protected, then that's how they can earn money, you know, throughout the life cycle of the product. So a lawyer might come in handy at some point in time. Okay. Yeah. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So you spent one year as a strategic business consultant. Let's bring Mm -hmm. it all together. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think the key value add here is like how you drive success through synergy. I know that's, I know that's one of your taglines. I see you smiling. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So how do you, how do you bring it all together to make Mm -hmm. that synergy, that whole one plus one equals 111? Correct. So how I envisage, because it says just one year, so it's, I still have my vision. So how I envisage, bring, envisage bringing it all together is where you have the strategic piece, where you've, you have your vision, and then you develop that into, okay, what are your targets to achieve that vision? Then once you have your targets to achieve that vision, how you performance manage to get that done? How do you turn your vision and your targets into financials. At the end of the day, you need to understand what your profitability is bringing in. Because if you're not in business to make money, I don't know what you're in business for. Well, there's social entrepreneurship and all these things. Well, yes, yeah, that's a new thing now. So yeah, doing good. <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs> doing good. Everybody's going green. Yeah, but yeah. even if you go green and even if you're a social enterprise, you still need to make money to continue to help people. No, no, well, you tell the government here what's going on. I'm going green. I'm trying to <laughs> clean the environment. I'm doing good. Give me a grant. Well, that's possible, huh? But at the end of the day, you need to report on what you did with the grant. Yes. That's so? it. At the end of the day, there's accountability. Or rather, I should say there should be accountability, you know? And to me, I think once you sign off on a grant, you sign off on, on responsibilities thereafter for report writing. So at the end of the day, you can't just go spend money willy-nilly and think, oh, God, well, it's free money. You know, you need to be able to, to tie it back to what was the objective to begin with. So social entrepreneurship still has its requirements to be able to say how you spent your money and account for your money. So once you've done your financials, you account for everything. A lot of people do not take in consideration of what can go wrong. Ah, I'm glad you brought that up, Don, because I wanted to get into this other qualification you did mm-hmm. called ABCP. Yes. Yeah, at first continuity. I was like, ABCP? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> right? So business continuity. Yes. See, Zara, I mm-hmm. pronounce it right. I used to say continuity. He used to yeah. say a lot of things that weren't that. But anyway, <laughs> you did. Good job. Yes. So mm-hmm. business continuity. So how do we think about that? Because we, again, uh, part of becoming investable, become investable mm-hmm. is positioning your business for sustainable wealth Correct. creation, right? So your business will mm-hmm. be able to transcend through generations. Your business should not, well, let's not say die, but like, mm-hmm. your business should not just be should not just last your generation how do you set it up for passing it on to the future generation mm-hmm. or even if you have a, a succession plan that's something right. who's not necessarily the family or so yeah so for me it's around understanding what can go wrong in the business so part of succession planning is understanding what are the risks that you're facing in the business so part of succession planning might be around who are the key people the not knowledge based people in the company the critical people in your, in your business that you would want to keep or you'd want to have critical information transferred to, to someone else. So it's always understanding what can go wrong in the business. And once you have an assessment of what can go wrong, is how you continue the business thereafter. So we had instances like recently with the floods, whether or not you may have had businesses impacted, everybody would have been impacted. So even if your business was not flooded out, what you would have felt is your employees whose homes would have been flooded out, not being able to come to work. And that could impact your business. For example, if those are critical employees, if those are employees driving your sales, you know, you'd very well find that for that week, your business is going to suffer. So at the end of the day, understanding your risk, understanding the impact the risk is going to have on your business, whether it's a high risk or low risk, also understanding the probability of it occurring. And if you know it's a high probability event, if it's a high risk event that can put your business out of business, then you need to cater for how do I continue my business? What are some of the measures I may need to continue my business? And some of the measures might be insurance. Some people do not take out insurance for whatever reason, but you might be able to insure some of your risks. But there are other things you can do to be able to continue the business once an event has occurred. A lot of businesses do not look at the business continuity aspect of it. They look at the a disaster has occurred and how do I respond? 
just in the moment of a disaster. But sometimes a disaster can set your business back a couple of years. So what do you need to do to be able to continue your business? So you need also to plan, you know, what it would take to continue the business in the event of an incident. You know, you're, you're very right. I think most businesses that I've seen, their biggest plan against disaster mm-hmm. so is that they have their files in steel. Um, in st- file cabinets. Yeah, steel file cabinets, <laughs> yeah. So we have the customer's mm-hmm. information there. Okay, don't worry. If you have a hurricane comes, a tsunami comes, mm-hmm. the files are safe. Mm-hmm. Correct. And in today's times... You don't long, no, no need to have those physical files. Uh, yes, we could you keep those physical files, but there's so many storage applications around, you know, that those things, you're very much more mobile now than you have been before. So you should be in a position where if your particular site shuts down, you should be able to open up another site and continue your business. And that's how flexible and agile businesses need to be in today's times. And technology affords you the ability to do that. But it means now understanding what are the things that can happen that will drive me to use such technology and then invest in that technology. Because a lot of people think, in, you know, that kind of technology comes easy. Sometimes it doesn't. There's a cost investing in technology huh? and cost in terms of dollars and time to be able to use that technology when you need it. Well, there you have it, guys. Systems for success. Thanks a lot, Don. That was very informative and very detailed. I think people got a lot of takeaways from that. Two questions now. Is there anything else you want to leave us with? And where can we find you? Okay. So in terms of the last question first, where can you find me? The name of my company is DH4, Simply Strategic Synergy Limited. And you get the theme of that, um, strategic and synergy. I do believe in in synergy, one-on-one plus is equals a thousand, you know, we can change the world with that mindset because that's also the tagline for my, for my company, you know, build on strength, change mindsets. Okay. I honestly believe in changing mindsets is, is what's needed for us to go forward and, and make Trantobago the place it, it can be, the potential it has to be. So this podcast is for the world. This, for the world, for the world. <laughs> so make the world, give a the world the right place. mindset. Correct, correct. In terms of my phone contact, 868-685-6974, email, Info at simplystrategicsynergy.com. In terms of what I'd like to leave you with, I think for me, I would like if it's someone starting off in, in business, a young entrepreneur, you know, sometimes they may not understand the all the facets that go into a business. And uh, sometimes just sitting down with somebody who knows and then can say, okay, well, these are so many things you might happen. This might some, these are some of the things you'd have to incur. You might fall into pitfalls. You may be disappointed, but with the right support, certainly I think success is, is the way to go. Success will be in your path. Right. With the right systems in place, with the right team and everything. With the right team. Speaking of the right team, Zara, I'm glad that you were able to make it here today. Thanks for inviting me, Kevin. This has been fantastic, Don. Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. So there you have it. Subscribe to Become Investable Podcast at becomeinvestable.com slash subscribe. Listen to us at Stitcher, Castbox, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And with that, thank you again. We are out. 